testicles. Where's his scrotum? <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. I don't wanna, don't send me off into outer space. I sweat when they put me yeah, in the Yeah, but we wanna go to the Let's do the papa, please, into the, into the verse. Really? Yeah. Don't send off into outer space. No, I can't, because then it gets all muddled up into the verse. Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. Recatopia, episode 74. I am Jeremy Scott. And I'm Aaron Dicer. And today's big recommend is the Coen Brothers Inside Lewin Davis. Let's give a shout out to the live chat viewers and a quick caveat uh, that my internet is supposed to go in and out all day long as Comcast does work <laughs> locally. And so far Dude. it has been on all day and working fine, but prepare for the worst. <laughs> um, hopefully <laughs> this will go well. Aaron, do you have any small recommends this week? It's no big deal. <laughs> It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's weak. Oh, for sure I do. Uh, let's start with the biggie. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Oh, man. <clears throat> uh, yes, uh, finally got to see uh, the new Mission Impossible. And by finally, I mean uh, even before it came out because I went to a press screening. Nice. Um, it is so very good. Uh, I think the thing that I will focus on, because I don't want to give it away any spoilers or anything like that, that I think Macquarie and Cruz have done here so well is they've embraced the action as part of the storytelling and not just a way to like impress the audience. Now, mm -hmm. does it impress the audience? Sure. There's a lot of very impressive things here, but the action set pieces in this movie to me are uh, these beautiful miniature puzzle pieces like that have like sections to them and many goals and many stories and there's all of the human experience in these action set pieces there's levity there's uh anger there's joy there's you know you know it's just it's this really interesting way to keep you invested and comprehending what's going on. And uh, there are th at least three major set pieces in this movie, and all of them are just magic. They're just magic to watch. Um, and it all serves uh, the story. It all serves what's going on and what our uh, you know protagonist's um, goals are. So the other part I wanted to mention is you will notice this is a part one. They have said so from the, the very beginning that this is a part one of two. And yet it feels more like a complete movie than many of the other part ones we've seen this year. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the movie itself has a very clear beginning, middle and end purpose that is being sought after that has a resolution. Mm. Are there hanging threads? Yeah, there's some hanging threads. But there's not a cliffhanger. Uh, mm. Somebody online was saying, yeah, but it still has a cliffhanger. I do not believe it does. I think our definition of the word cliffhanger may be a little bit different if you think this has uh, any kind of what, cliffhanger. Two humans have a different understanding of what a word means? <laughs> 
That's unheard of. Just because there are unresolved hanging threads does not necessarily mean the movie ends on a cliffhanger. And I think this movie uh, resolves really, really well, especially for a part one. So um, I loved, loved, loved this movie. It's, uh, it's a big, small recommend. I, I, I'm going to do that cliche thing and ask you to compare it to Fallout. <laughs> Mission Impossible Fallout? Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> I think you're going to have a similar experience, uh, but I think this movie is better. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. I did read today that McQuarrie was quoted as saying, every time we finish one of these movies, Tom immediately says to me, we can do better. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, I think you have to be a very specific type of person to work with Tom Cruise because mm -hmm. I think he is, and, and I don't see McQuarrie as an intense personality at all. He actually seems quite soft-spoken to me, but, um, and I think that's probably why they mesh fairly well, but from a aspiration standpoint, when you set out to make a film, don't forget McQuarrie also wrote and produced uh, Top Gun Maverick. Um, so sure. the, they're, you know, three for three, it sounds like, wait, four, four for four, it sounds mm -hmm. like now, because sucks that like rogue nation came out and like ruled all and now it's mm -hmm. like third or fourth down the list because they just keep topping themselves yeah i just i just think they have such an innate understanding of how to do an action movie and and look i i understand why people love the john wick movies i understand why um you know there's uh there's this idea of like well even Extraction 2 came out recently, and there's this, this idea of action as this, this series of athletic movements, mm. and I get it. That's, that's interesting to watch, and it certainly has a, a form of entertainment to it, but I am so much more predisposed to this type of action film where the action is serving something greater, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's its own uh, showcase it feels like it's part of an actual authentic movie experience. Um, it's very Spielbergian in that I way. I was Spiel just about to bring up Last Crusade. Yeah. I was just about to bring up Last Crusade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's wild. Jurassic Park, Last Crusade have a lot of these same kind of action sequences that feel this way. So, yeah, awesome. definitely. All right. Well, it's on my list for sure. I will be watching that. I'm going to go with a movie for my first small recommend. But those of you who enjoy my non-movie recommends, you hang on. Uh, but I recently got to rewatch The Birdcage with Nathan Lane and Robin Williams uh, just about three or four days ago. And I just, every time I see this movie, it's probably my eighth or ninth time watching it. It's just, it makes me laugh out loud and cry laughing at times. It's just, everyone gets a chance to, to show off how good an actor they are. Like Gene Hackman, especially in the end, when he's in full drag and makeup, um, Nathan Lane obviously steals the show. Robin Williams is somehow understated a little bit in this movie. Uh, and I, I can't speak to how well this plays in terms of like gay clubs and whatnot and gay relationships. Uh, I'm not trying to do that. If this movie is out of touch and offensive, then, uh, I certainly apologize. Uh, I did, <laughs> watch it with that kind of eye this time through. And I, I feel like everybody is pretty uncomfortable with the idea that they're asking Nathan Lane to be less gay. I feel like everyone is uncomfortable with that as mm -hmm. they should be. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it is a remake of a French film, La Cage à Paris, uh, which is just as good, if not in its own way, better 
Um, but the birdcage is just, it's just delightful. It's just a breeze. I just have fun and I leave smiling every single time. Um, so there you go. The birdcage. A, uh, a really fun Hank Azaria performance, as all Hank Azaria performances are. Oh, it may be my favorite Hank Azaria performance because he's so, it's, it's not like anybody I've ever seen him play. <laughs> and he, how do you almost steal a movie from Nathan Lane and Robin Williams? How do you do know. that? You're Hank Azaria, um, I guess. Yeah, uh, he's very, very funny. All right, what do you have a second small recommend this week, Mr. Dice? I do, from the world of television. Uh, the After Party Season 2 will have dropped the first couple episodes by the time you hear this, unless you're watching live, in which case it's tomorrow. Um, but I wanted to small recommend the After Party Season 1 in preparation for Season 2. Um, this, to me, fell under the radar for far too many people. It is an Apple TV Plus show. It is a murder mystery where every single episode is from the perspective of a different character and is produced in a completely different genre. So the genre kind of matches the character's personality. So one of them is a musical. One of them is a, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to say a, a medical drama. You know, like it's just like a different style. So like every one of them is an animated uh, you know, half hour. So like, it's a really interesting way to get you the information you need from each character as you're trying to solve this murder mystery, uh, up until the end. And, uh, I think it works as both an entertaining, uh, episode by episode project in the murder mystery works as well. I think it's a really smart murder mystery. So I'm really excited for uh, season two. I cannot recommend the after party enough. I do not think enough people have watched this. It's kind of like that Apple TV plus uh, environment has these shows that break through and then just some that nobody watches. And this feels like it's more the second than the first. Isn't so. Ted Lasso the only one that really broke through? Like, I mean, other than you, you watch a lot of content, but I don't mm -hmm. know anyone who's seen that Harrison Ford, Jason Shrinking. Siegel show. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen, you know, you know, reporters write about it, but I don't right. know anyone that's watched it. Um, same with the morning show. I don't know anybody that's watched that show. Yeah, um, Silo's kind of breaking through a little bit, and I haven't watched that one. Um, but no, you're 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 ap you're absolutely right. Um, this show sounds awesome, and it's got a lot of people I love in it. But it's pissing me off because I didn't realize that's what it was, and that that is an idea. I had an idea for years to do a TV mm -hmm. show set in a movie theater, like a clerk style uh, environment where it's the, the focus is on the employees because I have a lot of experience there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then every episode would have been in a different film genre. Um, but now somebody's already beat me to it. Like all ideas, you got to mm -hmm. do it or yeah. someone's going to do it. Yeah, it happens. Uh, somebody mentions Severance uh, breaking through. Ah, yeah, I think point. Severance Severance did break through. I can't decide if For All Man Mankind broke through or not. Um, I, I've really enjoyed For All Mankind, but um, do, you, do you know For All Mankind? You Never even heard of For it. All Mankind. Oh, I my goodness. Uh, For, For All Mankind is a show that posits what if Russia got to the moon first and how would that have impacted the space race and... And then it just, you know, it's kind of a branching history kind of from there. And it's really fascinating. It gets cool. really good after season two. It's it's fine in season one and season two. And then it just gets really good. One of my favorite graphic novels is uh, Superman. What if Superman had landed in Russia instead mm -hmm. of the United States? Sure. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. My second small recommend 
is bursting out of the realm of film and television and back to a, a, a world I'm very comfortable in, carbonated beverages. Um, <laughs> and this week, uh, I would like to tell you, if you see a cherry or tropical mix Sprite in your gas station or um, local supermarket, I can tell you they are both uh, really, really good. The tropical one is my favorite. It kind of surprised me how tropically it tastes. And Because uh, here's the deal. I'm doing this new thing. Where I've been, I've, I've raved on this show about some zero sugar sodas that taste like the real deal. Like I've, I'm famously said, Coke and Sprite have gotten pretty much there. But then all this stuff came out about not aspartame, but the other one, sucralose, mm-hmm. and how um, they did this study where it like basically can create cancer. I, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm simplifying, but it basically creates. Uh, chemicals in your body that attack your body or can. Uh, Regatopia uh, is not a medical show. Everything is for entertainment purposes only. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm not telling anyone to live my life the way I or live your life the way I live mine. But I have now ditched the zero sugar sodas of all kinds. Half of them are like aspartame and half of them are sucralose. And I've gone back to sugared soda, but I just do it in super moderation. I just don't, I don't drink soda every day anymore. Um, and uh, I have actually lost weight. So there you go. Boom. In your face. Uh, the remix Sprite on the screen is not the one I'm talking about, but uh, actually maybe it is tropical Aruba jam. I don't know what that is, but they have a tropical mix Sprite and a cherry Sprite. And uh, I hope you can find it near you. It's very tasty. Yeah, when I was looking up like for the pictures and stuff, there were so many different sprite remixes that they're they're Hard doing. To know. And so I put three of them on screen, hoping that one of them might be <laughs> the right one. So one of them's the tropical one. So I thought, well, they've might got be they've one. changed their packaging. I'm talking about the 20 ounce bottles now. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like it's a if it's regular sprite, it's all green with white letters. If it's this cherry one, it's going to be a red like mm-hmm. Coke red, but it'll have white sprite letters. And then the tropical mix has an orange label and it has white sprite across it. So there you go. I've already spent entirely too much time giving sprite free advertising. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is time for this week's big recommend. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed uh, the Coen brothers inside Lewin Davis, and this was my first time ever watching this movie. And yes, I did message Aaron in the middle of watching it to make threats about what would happen if the cat did not survive. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, this was your choice. Why don't yeah. you kick us off? Inside Lewin Davis is one of my favorite Coen brothers movies. It uh, it was one of those movies where I was, I'm going to say about half hour in, and I wasn't sure if I was enjoying myself, what was going on. Like, I was like, this doesn't feel very Coen-y to me. Like, it, I was having trouble placing it in their repertoire, those kind of things. And then it just grabbed hold of me. And it's kind of, that kind of happens with tone poem movies sometimes. And I believe this is a little bit of a tone poem. Um, where you kind of go along for the ride. But by the end, and what it chooses to do towards the end, took me to another level with this movie. And I was like, oh, is this kind of what they're what they're saying, what they're getting at? And so I thought about this movie for days after watching it. Oscar Isaac plays Lewin Davis. Uh, we start in 1961 at the Gaslight Cafe. Uh, this is very much a movie about folk singing. Um, in the Coens have called it a sister movie to A Brother Where Art Thou. Um mm-hmm. In that there is, you know, kind of a similar feel to the old style folk music in O Brother and the uh, more 
um, 60s style folk music uh, here, as well as the fact that there's uh, Iliad and Odyssey references uh, throughout this one as well, as there are uh, in O Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, we start with Oscar Isaac singing a beautiful song at the Gaslight uh, Cafe. By the way, Oscar Isaac can sing. Hello. Yeah. Uh, really, really good stuff here from him and everybody else who is in here. And then we follow this character through their life. Uh, the Coens have famously said this movie does not have a plot. Um, and I think that's fairly true. We're kind of seeing just different vignettes from what this folk singer is going through, um, whether it's how he couch surfes, uh, surfs from family to family, whether it be his relationship with another folk singing duo where uh, he may or may not have gotten the female member of that duo pregnant and is trying to pay for her abortion um, and finds out later that uh, another woman he got pregnant that he paid for an abortion, didn't have her abortion and kept the child and finds out he may be a dad of a two-year-old. So like he's going through all this stuff. Um, he ends up deciding to record on a song as a player and give up royalties. And of course the, uh, the song becomes a big hit uh, that could have uh, made him lots and lots of money. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes, the recording of that song, the stuff oh that Adam Driver is doing oh in that God. song is so good and so true. It's so authentic to some of the stuff that was going on in like quirky folk music in the 60s. Um, so it's a lot of fun. There's a whole John Goodman section where he's traveling with uh, with them. And some of the most interesting dialogue comes from John Goodman in this movie. Some really hilarious stuff there. And we just kind of follow uh, Lewin Davis through his life. A constant thread is the cat. And, you know, the, the very first day the cat escapes, uh, he catches it but can't get back in. So he has to keep it at his place. Then it escapes from his place. He thinks he finds it. He thinks he returns it to them. It turns out it's not even the same gender, uh, the same biological sex. <laughs> Where's like, his testicles? Where's his scrub? <laughs> uh, where's his scrotum, Lewin? Where's his scrotum? Um, uh, so that's not the cat, but he does find out later that the cat has returned and is named Ulysses. Uh, and uh, that is probably means something, I would imagine. But as we finish, we finish the movie with the same scene we started with. And it is either a revelation that we were in a, a very tricky um, in media's res where we started at the end and didn't know it and then went back in time, or is the movie saying, uh, that it's all one big loop. It's all one big circle. Well, it's um, definitely saying that, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, I think so. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, right. I have thoughts on what this movie means. I have thoughts, uh, which again is why I love it so much because there is so much to chew on as far as like, what are they trying to say with this? What does this mean? What is it about? And yet beyond that, it's also just a really engaging watch. Like you're just interested in the vignettes uh, of his life. So uh, Jeremy, what did you think of Inside Lewin Davis? I loved watching it. I think it's great. Um, I'm not sure my opinions about what this movie is saying and means are gonna be the same as you. This guy's an asshole. Yes. Um, this guy is straight up, a, a bitch and it has it says a lot about the Coens and his acting ability that I ever pull for him in even the slightest bit but he is so high on his 
artistic self. Yep. He gives that self-righteous speech to his sister, I think, about how you chose the safe path and I'm out there living. And at mm -hmm. the end of the movie, no, you're not, dude. You are just stuck in the same endless loop until you die like the rest of us. Yes. And I think this movie does not like this guy. And I think it's based loosely on a real folk singer who had an album called Inside His Name, whatever it mm -hmm. was. And his people and friends have been like adamant from what I can read. Like he wasn't really like this. He was a really super nice guy and everybody loved him. So I think this is, a f I think the movie is asking, do any of us actually live any kind of a special, unique, extraordinary life? Or do we all just end up caught in our own loop of our own making over and over again so yeah i think <laughs> i have a very bleak view on what this movie's conclusions are but i really enjoyed watching it i think the opening songs one of the most compelling openings to a movie i've seen even though that song is depressing as hell i love all the characters we meet along the way i love you know, the Gomer Pyle guy, who, the really good singer who's in the military, who just seems like the straightest arrow you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. um, I love the fight between Carrie Mulligan and him where she just refuses to show any positive emotions to him. <laughs> She's like, you're shit. Everything you do turns to shit. And he's trying to say, you know takes two to tango you couldn't make a baby without two of us and she was she's not even hearing that she's just yeah. like you're shit you're gonna <laughs> fix this so yeah uh let's see some other notes i wrote uh the cat thing stressed me out a little bit only because i did have a cat get away for three days when i was young little boy uh and i have learned in therapy that was a traumatic event for me but i have processed it well enough that i also knew i, I just instinctively knew this not the kind of movie that's going to kill the cat although it does have a car hit a cat and the cat limp off the side of the road, which Aaron may believe is a dream. I I have come to believe uh, that it is possible. Let's just go ahead and talk about this here. I think the cat is the protagonist of the movie. Which um, cat? The 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 main cat. The there are cat three cats. The cat that gets out. Well, we don't know for sure that the one on the road isn't the main cat, right? I do. <laughs> you do? How do you? How the fuck would that cat get from New York City out to halfway between New York and Chicago? That's that is that is the question, right? I'm one because he stops and he stops and stares at that incredible journey poster for so long that I'm wondering if like he's realizing he is a secondary character in this cat's story. <laughs> like that is. is a very interesting take. <laughs> and I, there's clearly, I mean, he wouldn't even, they wouldn't even show us that poster if that wasn't supposed to be important. Right, right. Um, but no, my view is that it's three different cats. He may very well see it as the same cat. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think it was three different cats. Um, that seems a safe bet. Uh, I did like when John Goodman's character starts trashing on a city called Murfreesboro, and I really hope he's talking <laughs> about the one in Tennessee because he's absolutely correct. Um, that is, is it not a good town, in my opinion. Um, this movie really wants me to feel cold. I underlined that in my notes. Um, mm -hmm. It's very palpable how cold it is, wintry, and I think that's also another subtext. Um, I wanted to talk about a few of the IMDb um trivia notes go for it yeah i don't know if it. you looked at any of these yeah yeah but you mentioned that 
they said they were open about how the movie has no plot. And mm-hmm. the quote I read is that he says, that's why we threw the cat in there. Um, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and then the cat um, becomes the structure. Ethan Cohen says the cat was a nightmare. The trainer warned us and she was right. <laughs> she said, uh, dogs like to please you. The cat only likes to please itself. A cat basically is impossible to train. We have a lot of footage of cats doing things we don't want them to do if anyone's interested. I don't know if there's a market for that. <laughs> Hell yes, there is. I want to see an entire movie's length of the cat not doing just what Just like 12 wanted. hours straight of the cat from inside Lewin Davis uh, just <laughs> messing around. When I read that quote, I was like, well, yeah, like, like it takes a person who's not a cat person to think you can train a cat to do. I mean, you every every time you see a cat in a movie, it's this. They've got lots of footage of the cat not doing what they want it to. And he even says we ended up using a bunch of different cats and we would just meet the cat and see what it liked to do. And then we would film that scene with that cat. And then the cat that likes to sit still, we would film another scene with that cat. The cat that likes the subway would film another scene with that cat. Um Another thing I wrote was that Oscar Isaac had a meeting with T-Bone Burnett, who was the music supervisor. (laughs) T-Bone Burnett put on a Tom Waits record and left the room for an hour. Oscar (laughs) Isaac says that was a Mr. Miyagi moment. That was the first (laughs) lesson. Um, Yeah, I just think it's a fascinating movie. A lot of big names auditioned to play Lewin Davis, Mm -hmm. and it was Oscar Isaac that ended up landing the gig, and I think that was probably perfect. That was probably fortune. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, there are likable characters in this, but they're all around the periphery. Um, and this guy is just a jerk. Who's likable? Who's, I, I was, I was thinking about this. Like, who would you say is a likable character in this movie? The, the soldier who can sing, okay. who slurps his milk. And when he's done with his milk, he goes, well, that was very good. Um, <laughs> I think you could argue that Timberlake's character is likable. Uh, yeah. or at least that he's not unlikable right um and yeah same with uh adam driver um he seems pretty affable he willingly lets the guy come crash at his place for a couple of days um but outside of that like i don't think carrie mulligan's very likable in this movie no i think she's she's the yin to his yang like i think they're 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 both in a very similar position where the movie asks us to have uh you know somehow creates empathy for them while saying these are terrible people you know like it's yeah, it's it's they're yeah. they're both kind of in that that boat. It felt like a very real, uh, historyed toxic relationship between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. Like they have been, they have history there, and it's not not any of it good um, at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I was crushed by two moments um, when he takes the cash payout and and says no to the royalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of that's how desperate he is for that cash. Like yeah. I've been there. I've been when I first moved to Nashville. I would I would pawn my guitar and my amp just to get through rent and cable, and I'd get my paycheck, and I would get that stuff out of pawn, and then a few weeks later, I'd have to go pawn it again, mm-hmm. and that's like that's a never-ending drainage cycle right there. And mm-hmm. uh, I just felt so bad. And then when he's driving back to New York. And he sees the exit for Akron. And this is where he knows the previous woman who did not get the abortion. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question he has a child. Right. And the movie, the fucking movie makes you think he's going to turn. And he not only doesn't turn, he really doesn't show any emotion at all. He just keeps driving. Mm-hmm. And that was so frustrating. But I think that is 
maybe the heart of this character. That is who he is. He is, no matter what he's spouting, no matter what he's singing, he's about himself. Um, he's one of the more selfish characters I've ever seen. I think that's probably brought on by trauma because we get hints. I mean, we don't get hints. He literally says his former partner jumped off the George Washington Bridge. Um, so his former singing partner has Who jumps off the suicide. George Washington Bridge? Yeah. The Brooklyn Bridge is the... Brooklyn is Bridge. The... <laughs> um, and so, you know, maybe there's a reason that he's become this person, but I don't like him. I don't like him one bit. I liked the movie a lot, though. It's it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to go into a little bit of a theory here and then maybe talk about some specific uh, moments. But I remember when it ended the uh, with the first scene, I, the first part of that that I found interesting was the movie does an interesting thing where because it starts with him getting beat up in an alley for something you don't know about, you don't know why, like what he said, you can make interpretations that this person is in the wrong for beating him up, that he was just, maybe he said something political from the stage that this person disagreed with, like you don't mm -hmm. have any context. And so the movie allows you to paint kind of your own ideas over you know is this person a sad sack is this person deserve this do they not deserve this um and i think that's really smart because it allows you to have empathy for this character as you continue to go through and you start to learn that he's a product of his own bad decisions he's um you know yes he had he's a bit of a sad sack he is the guy who the same day he pays his dues so he can go back into the merchant marines finds out that there was this other thing he lost they can't and then can't get his payment back yeah for paying his due like that stuff happens to him and we all can feel we've all had those moments in life where it's like are you kidding me yeah like i just did this thing so like it, it allows him to kind of go through those those waves with us at, of empathy and just you deserve this and you are you know a, a horrible person the other thing that it does by ending where it begins is it to me immediately my first thought was oh this is a cycle this is like a record this is you know um the the same way that folk music is both beautiful and harmonic it is also melancholy and dark and like so many folk songs sound beautiful but are talking about like really dark things and you mentioned it specifically the first song we hear is very much like that it's mm -hmm. this beautiful melody beautifully sung and it's a, about let me die you know hang me on a rope like you know put me out of my misery kind of thing and the movie is kind of in its own way being a folk song right or a folk record even you could even see the vignettes as the different songs on the record and then when it gets to the end you know you can play it all over again and, mm. and start it over again because it just goes in circles right the grooves or the circles in fact the movie makes uh, great pains a couple times to silence out everything but the rhythm of the road. Mm. And it kind of sounds like that thing a record player does when it gets mm. to the end and it kind of skips on the, the end of the track. And it's like, I just, I really think they're making a point about this movie is a, a recording of sorts of, you know, this person. And so this is like a folk, a folk record as a movie in mm. some ways is mm. kind of where my brain went i don't know if that was intentional i just know that's where my brain went with the circular the circularity of it and those kind of things so i mean i, I wouldn't put it past the coen brothers to think on that kind of a level um because they clearly are, are quite intentional about 
the way they go about making a film and what mm -hmm. what the symbolism is. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. I like a lot of your theories. So maybe I'm just biased. Um, <laughs> the way the movie introduces us to the information regarding his partner and his partner's uh, suicide, I think is really interesting and uh, and very well done because you just start to pick up bits and pieces. I think the first time... Correct me if I'm wrong. Hmm. The first time I remember thinking, oh, here's what probably happened was when he gets in the argument about don't sing his part. That was the first the first time where like like he's he's lamenting and looking at these albums and you know he had a partner, but you're not and maybe I'm forgetting something, but I don't think you're certain what happened. And then he gets really upset when she starts singing Mike's part. Yeah. Um, which by the way, in the recording was actually, uh, I think I read in the trivia, uh, the Mumford and Sons, yeah. uh, singer actually yep. did that. Um, and so I think the way the movie kind of brings you into that again, allows you to ride the waves of empathy and then he'll just do something that's, you know, uh, uh completely mean and ill-spirited and you're just like on that, you know, back and forth train with this guy, um, I, I just find it a captivating experience. I was I watched it again for for this show and just was locked in. Um, yeah, it's pretty riveting, and it doesn't work if you don't have that performance from uh, Oscar Isaac. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, he's like he doesn't even want to play that. He doesn't even want to play. He's like, you know, I'm not a trained pony, and they just they literally mm -hmm. bring a guitar and put it in his lap, and they're trying to recreate some experience they've had mm -hmm. at a previous dinner party. Yeah, but his partner was there and he, now that he's not the woman decides to try and jump in and and yeah i think yeah. that just set him over the edge and he's like this is my job i don't ask you at a dinner party to give a speech on the mesopotamia or whatever <laughs> <laughs> oh man Which there's some truth there that's the other thing he's not necessarily speaking lies like there is some truth there with art where it's like when you're a comedian and people are like oh be funny you know and it's like no it's it's my job it's what like people actually pay to come see me do this oh yeah you know or you know whatever the case may be so yeah be funny <laughs> right hey, say something funny <laughs> there's nothing more pressure to hear than that well, actually that probably are like i just threw a grenade at you it's probably more pressure filled um all right are we ready for the super secret number feature I have plenty more to say, but a lot of it is just kind of those those little moments that I just wanted to bring out that that I really appreciated. Someone's at the front door. Someone's at our front door. Uh, <laughs> those, <laughs> those, All right. Those moments that I uh, really appreciated. I love the way John Goodman does the G G C D G. <laughs> He's making fun of full music. Oh, oh that character I hated though. I mean, oh he... yeah, of course he's terrible. He's yeah. terrible. Um, when he goes, when he gets to that person and he's like, uh, you know, playing for them and it's really great or whatever, the guy just looks at him and just goes, "I don't see a lot of money here." <laughs> <laughs> so painful. Oh, yep. it hurts so bad. Yeah, because he played a great song. You think yes. like another movie would would you know a Hollywood ending would be that guy would be yes. the guy that gets his ticket? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Sad. way that Oscar Isaac, after he asks Adam Driver uh, if if he has an apartment, and Adam Driver says, "Yeah, it's a dump," and Oscar, the way Oscar Isaac just goes, "Uh huh, got a couch." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's had these conversations so many times. He's just trying to get to the part that matters. Oh, oh man, <clears throat> yeah. I have never couch surfed. I've certainly slept on a couch at a friend's house after a party or something. But I'm, mm -hmm. I imagine that would be yeah. an incredibly stressful way to live, and certainly. 
I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not an easy I, lifestyle. And then I'll just mention this, uh, this last, um, the scene where he sings this beautiful song to his father and then realizes his father has defecated all over himself mm. uh, by the end is, I think, the biggest example of what this movie is trying to do with that combination of the beautiful and the melancholy. Like, it is, it is the absolute highs of musical beauty and then the lows of human aging and mm. it's like it's he even talks about it a couple times after that and i just think it's um i think there's an essence there of what the movie is really trying to do and, and so i did want to mention that uh as well so yeah, yeah just a well, lot of great stuff i mean a lot of a lot of our interpretation of films often comes from our our own situations mm -hmm. right sure but i i certainly felt feel like the movie's saying we're, we're all going to end up here no matter what art you create right now this is where this is where the loop ends for all of us <laughs> um yeah. so yeah i think the movie is very bleak um but beautiful yeah all right so the super secret double feature be very very quiet secret what secret a dirty little secret i tell you something i've never told anyone Boy, I had thoughts. I had thoughts. I felt like there were about four or five different ways I could go here. Like the asshole protagonist who undoes themselves. I saw somebody in the chat suggest Wolf of Wall Street. I genuinely considered that uh, for a brief period. Uh, I thought a lot. I was on Sideways with Paul Giamatti for several days. Not several days. I only watched mm -hmm. several hours. That's a good thought. I like that. That's thematically. That feels really similar. Exactly. Yeah. Like an artist on the fringe trying to crack yeah. in, leading a fairly like miserable yeah. life. Uh, but I decided to stick with the New York and the music angle and go with a much lesser seen film called Begin Again with Kira Knightley. Yeah. I love Mark that movie. Um, this is, I think, directed by the guy who made Sing Street. Mm -hmm. Um and Ruffalo plays uh, a formerly successful uh, record executive. He gets fired. He goes, gets drunk at a bar and hears Kira Knightley performing. And this is one of my favorite things about this movie is this scene because he hears and visualizes full orchestration and instrumentation to go along with the song, the way a record producer would when they hear a singer, even though she's just singing up there with the guitar and her voice. And after the song ends, you get just her. She cuts all the orchestration out of it. It's just her guitar and her, and you realize that he's just got that ear. And so he decides to pluck her out of obscurity and produce an EP for her. Uh, and the conceit is going to be that they record in public spaces in New York City where ambient noise will be part of the track. They record on a rooftop at one point. They record in a park, I think. Uh, the music in the film is really enjoyable. The singer from Maroon 5 is in the movie as her ex-boyfriend mm -hmm. um, who got famous as a singer and then cheated on her. Uh, just a really lovely film uh, that I think has a lot of sweet things to say about music and crafting music and how much of our own lives always seep into that uh, when we do create art. Um, so there you go. That's my super secret double feature. Begin again. I like it. Good choice. I uh, thought it was a little obscure, but uh, if you can seek that out, let's, let me see if it's streaming anywhere. Um, it's worth watching. Um, it really is. It was one of my favorites that year. Um, it's just a really beautiful uh, uh, movie. Oh, yeah. um, 
I thought Adam, Lev- Adam, Adam Levine, I think is the, the yep. Maroon 5 guy's name. I thought he was good. I was like, oh, he can, you know, be in movies, uh, which isn't always the case. No, um, he was so. pretty good. Yeah, it's on uh, Netflix, and it looks like it's on Showtime as well. So there you go. There you go. And now for your homework, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you a warning. that I expect one or two of you may not watch, um, and I'll tell you why. It's called The Fallout. It's an HBO now called Max original that came out in, I believe, 2021. Uh, it was a pandemic movie that uh, completely flew under the radar. Jenna Ortega's in this. She blew up and became a huge star after this movie. Uh, the caveats, your trigger warnings. This is about a school shooting. Um, so Jenna Ortega is a student, uh, and she will hear gunshots in an early scene and then run and hide in a bathroom, and there will be uh, more gunshots. Uh, so if that is a trigger for you, don't watch this movie. And uh, there are some suicidal conversation here and there. It's heavy, heavy stuff, but I think it's massively important given the world we live in uh, today, at least here in America. Um, so that is your homework, homework if you are able to watch it. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's really special, and I can't wait to dive into it with you guys and Aaron. It's on nice. HBO Max. <clears throat> the Fallout. Right. We finally have time for some questions, or we again have time for some questions. Let's do it. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. All right. Name a film you have fallen asleep watching more than once, even when you were trying to stay awake. <laughs> That's not good. I I can't remember falling asleep uh, multiple times during a movie. I'm sure it's happened. Listen, I'm sure it has happened, but I really racked my brain on this one um, and, and couldn't remember one. And it's not, it is not common for me. In fact, I uh, never do it. Like, I don't watch stuff as I'm falling asleep. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like, that's just not been my practice ever to like have the TV on while I'm falling asleep or have a podcast. in. I know a lot of people do, and a lot of people swear it helps them get to sleep. And I totally get that. Um, it's just not ever been my practice. I did, however, recently watch Gene Dillman, 23, Quai de Comer, 1080, Brasiles, uh, recently. <laughs> okay. So if, you if you don't know about this movie, uh, it recently topped the big sight and sound uh, list that comes out every eight years or 10 years or whatever they release it. Vertigo was at the number one last time. Citizen Kane before that. Like, it, you know, so this movie ends up at number one on this list. And I'd never even heard of it before. Um, that may be a flaw in my own movie critic knowledge, whatever the case may be. Um, but it is this movie from the 70s that is literally just watching this woman exist in her life. Um, and I won't necessarily spoil where it goes, but it is three and a half hours of just watching this woman fold clothing, wash dishes, prepare dinner, those kind of things. And it does eventually kind of have a point of why it's doing that. So I don't want to like knock it, knock it, but I will tell you, there has never been a movie where I was more like, like, you know. Uh, I can see myself taking a nap and not missing anything. Mm. <laughs> so I thought mm. I would I would mention that one. Um, but uh, that's not so, to say the movie's terrible because it really it really does have an interesting thing it's trying to do that I don't want to spoil. But it's it's weird to me that it jumped to number one like that. Say uh, the name of that movie again. I I'm sure I butchered it. But oh, John, was it not 
I thought it was just a bunch of English words run together really fast. No, was it's it? French. It's Jean, oh. Jean Dielman is the name, uh, okay. and it's uh, J-E-A-N-N-E-D-I-E-L-M-A-N. Uh, then it's 23 Quai du Commerce, uh, 1080 Bruxelles. Um, so there All you right. go. You're just showing off. <laughs> Three and um, a half hours of watching somebody fold laundry. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, don't don't you think at some point in your life you might want those three hours like for another purpose? <sighs> there was enough there to talk about uh, that uh, that no, I'm glad I'm I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched it. I uh, there was a time when I uh, had just gotten married where we didn't have any cable, um, and we only I only had like twelve DVDs at the time. This was a little. Mm-hmm. A little before Blu-ray, I think. Um, so I would put Finding Nemo in every night and sit there on the couch surfing the internet as I got tired and uh, occasionally would, yes, fall asleep and would wake up to the Finding Nemo DVD menu, <laughs> which humorously has animations and the characters pop in. Yeah, the in. characters pop in on that one. I remember that one. To talk to you. Um, I know Aaron loves Finding Nemo. and I, think- I do. It's a perfect movie. And it was, and the DVD was in all the time when my kids were young, because like they I were bet. the perfect. Wasn't that two thousand four somewhere around that range? Yeah, I think so. so like, our youngest had just been born, and our oldest was five years old. So like that DVD was in all the time between yep. two thousand four and two thousand seven. It's funny. We tried to show it to my brother's kid, um, and he didn't. He got scared. He didn't want to watch it. That's um, a scary opening. It's you know. It's yeah, funny. I can't blame him. I can't blame him. Yeah. Um, all right. Anybody in the chat? That's me with all Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, I can understand <laughs> that. Uh, Moana, but that's because I was awake for thirty six hours and I loved that movie. Uh, Fantasia. That's a good answer. Um, I did fall asleep watching Nightcrawler, but I was traveling and very drunk. Well, that's understandable. Um, <laughs> how about another question? I've seen many discussions about misheard song lyrics. What is a line of dialogue from a movie that you originally misheard? Uh, great question. I had to think about this one for a while. Um, I, for a long time, thought in the repeat in A Whole New World uh that um jasmine says every moment gets better because that's what aladdin says Hmm. Uh, she actually says every moment red letter which i i find really interesting and indifferent what does that mean (laughs) important the red letters are important like that comes from like the jesus words in the bible right like they're in red letter isn't that where that comes from like a red letter day is an important day i think that's where that comes i could be totally wrong but um but anyways, yeah, totally missed that. And uh, recently found out uh, that um, the uh, line loco parentis in Hamilton is not local apprentice, uh, which I, I thought it was. Interesting. Uh, so, so there you go. It's Latin. Interesting. How very, very specific of you. I like that answer. <laughs> uh, I have probably seen Hunt for Red October 30 or 40 times, maybe. Um, and... For the longest time, until I was well into my 20s, I misheard a line. And my phone is ringing. This is great radio, doorbells, <laughs> telephones. Um, there's a line where Alec Baldwin uh, is saying that Sean Connery's subcaptain is called the Vilnius Schoolmaster. Um, and Vilnius is the name of a city. Um, I think it's Lithuania. I'm not entirely positive, but it's the name of a city that was in the USSR at the time, and that's where he had been born. Um, 
And so he was the Vilnius schoolmaster and he schooled everybody out in the ocean. I always heard that for the first half of my life as villainous, mm. like as though he was, you know, a villain, villainous schoolmaster. Um, and then, you know, I started losing my hearing and captions came into my life and a lot of lines I have misheard over the years. Have sure. Been corrected. Yeah. Um, I think if you build it, they will come versus if you build it, he will come from Field of Dreams. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see people are still answering those fell asleep question. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's do one more and then we'll let everybody go to lunch. Uh, rewatching Prisoners is, is a beautiful movie that unsurprisingly is shot amazingly well. What is a movie that is beautiful to watch but is dark in theme? Uh, I landed on Midsommar for this or Midsummer, depending on how you uh, want uh, to say it. An absolute gorgeous movie. The shots in it are spectacular. The landscape is amazing. Uh, the colors are very much that Midsummer feel. Um, it is beautiful. It is also extremely dark. Uh, subject matter uh, as it is a sex death cult uh, and uh, that is dark subject matter. If you gotta so. join a cult, I mean <laughs> a sex death cult seems like a pretty good one to choose. Say um, say you haven't seen Midsummer without saying you haven't seen Midsummer. Oh, I've actually <laughs> seen Midsummer. Have I, you? I didn't uh, know you got around to seeing it. Oh, I saw it a few years back. Um, okay. A couple years All back. Right. I was too intrigued by the director and Florence Pugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you or Chris, somebody gave me some information about mm-hmm. what I could look forward to and or look away from. Um, right. So I was able to get through it, but I probably won't ever watch it again. Um, <laughs> I landed on uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by Fincher, um, which I think is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen, even though the color palette is fairly muted. Um, but that is a movie that kind of starts dark and ends darker and yeah. that's the way the story is the the foreign language version is great film um, but there's something about visuals from fincher that seem to always be beautiful regardless of the subject matter um <clears throat> so that was my answer well guys that's going to do it for today's show i want to thank the chat as always for coming out and giving your input and feedback and just you know being here to support and watch us while we record and broadcast Recotopia episode 74. Your homework for next week is on Max. It's called The Fallout with Jenna Ortega. Uh, and it's a heavy, heavy movie. Um, so research uh, your trigger warnings uh, and, you know, don't watch if it's going to upset you. Um, but we'll see you next week. Um, goodbye. Have a great day. Uh-oh. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com Uh, what's up in the, did you watch any of the home run de derby no i have zero interest that's all right i'm not sure the tigers had anybody in there anyway yeah yeah they were they were they were playing well there for a second and you know they're in a terrible division so that always helps did you see this story about sarah silverman suing open ai over 
chat GPT having scraped the contents of her book illegally? No. Interesting. So, so illegal scraping would be, it, it must uh, have found like a, uh, copy. there are black market yeah. uh, book sites, just like there are black market drug sites. Um, and yeah, that's what they're alleging. And apparently they have at least one legal admission somewhere in their filing from the other side that basically hmm. says they knew um, they did, they weren't buying the book. There are actually two lawsuits and she's not the only one who brought them and they were both brought yesterday hmm. um, in San Francisco. I just think that's fascinating because that is what this, that is what this stuff is doing. This machine learning, it's just scraping, you know, the, the art oh, AIs sure. that yeah. people are using are just scraping art from artists and the voice AIs are just scraping voices. And every time we see yep. one of these deep fakes where it's what if Tom Cruise was in Dances with Wolves, that has been, that's content that has been created via stealing it, essentially. Um, at least not accessing it with any kind of permission. Um, I just think that I'll be curious to see if it gets swatted down fast so the riches can stay rich or if there's any merit to it. Philosophically, I think you have to draw a dividing line between a human being doing something and a machine who can do it a million times faster and a million times more efficiently uh, doing sure. something. And that is where they're going to have to draw that line legally because you cannot sue a human for you know uh, using your creative property to launch off and do their own creative thing like you know directors being talk inspired about, by right. right yeah directors talk about their influences all the time you know like yeah. um uh so but f as far as a machine who's doing that i think you can draw that line philosophically uh to go okay this is different um uh in this way so yeah i think it's interesting I'll, i'm curious to see where it goes I, I mean, I am vastly curious. Uh, I I think the main difficulty we're going to have is the technology is going to advance so quickly that the laws won't be able to keep up, right? Like, that's that's the issue, is that the time it takes to put something through the courts, you know, is often a year or two or whatever, maybe even longer. And by that point, the new, you know, uh, learning is going to be doing something different. It's just like, yeah. it's, you know... You're never going to be able to put out that fire, and that's the problem. Is the exponential increase of technology makes it so that at some point we're just, you know, we can't do anything about it. It's just that that snowball is going to go to the end of the the mountain, wherever that is. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I sure hope it's like <laughs> a nice place. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it's a good the good outcome. That's right. Um, I hope I hope it's the pleasant avalanche. Why, why don't we ever get any movies about that? Um, we do, and they fail. Uh, uh, the uh, wasn't uh, Brad Bird's Tomorrowland was kind of with that aesthetic, like a positive look at the, um, you know, where was that Brad Bird? That was Brad Bird who did Tomorrowland, yes, it was. wasn't? Yes, yeah, it was. that 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 movie was about an optimistic view of technology in the future or uh, whatever. So, like, it's. But is that why it failed, or is that just a coincidence? I mean, it, who knows? Things fail for many, many reasons. But, uh, but yeah. I just didn't think that was a very good movie. Elysium's um, kind of like that. Uh, Elysium has some, you know. Well, if you're up in the wagon wheel in the sky, not correct. if you're down yes. on Earth. So there's like, I think that's probably the case, right? Like, mm -hmm. if I had to guess, I think technology snowball is going to get to a place where it's awesome for the rich people. <laughs> and it's sucky <clears throat> for everyone else.
And yeah, that, yeah. That's a very possible outcome. I liked Elysium. Yeah? I didn't think it was great, but I liked it. I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember thinking it was a little muddled. It's like muddled, it, but it's better than Chappie. Oh, uh, well, that's not masking much. <laughs> Chappie is pretty terrible, in my opinion. No, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I had high hopes for Chappie. I liked, I liked District 9 so much mm-hmm. that I want that guy to have another home run. But that's a t- The technology that gives me nightmares is the eternal life through consciousness uh, transfer technology. Because I'm almost 100% sure I'll still die. Just another version of me will be out there. Like, if I'm ever able to transfer my consciousness to something else, I'm uh, like, I'm sure it's a copy, right? Like, I'm like, <laughs> my original consciousness will die in a new consciousness that's not me, but thinks it's me will continue on, right? Like, that's. This is all because of that. That fucking Black Mirror show you watched, right? <laughs> well, there's certainly there are certainly episodes that deal with this, but Chappie kind of deals with it as well. No, um, I mean, there's one I've seen clips of that you mentioned being the the, the best of the season. Oh, who's in it? Anyway, Dom uh, uh, Gleason's in one that kind of deals with some of that. Well, there's one um, where where a guy is saying to somebody, "No, that's exactly what you would say if you you you." If you were you, but you're not you. Like, <laughs> anyway, that just made made me think of that. That's bleak, man. That's like the Star Trek transporter thing they debate in Breaking Bad, where mm-hmm. like it takes like every time yes. you transport, you're killed, and another you right. is formed. And you can't prove to me it doesn't happen every night when you sleep either. Well, if I set up a camera, I could. <laughs> could you? I'm I'm still over here thinking it's entirely possible. This is all. A computer program. And yeah. I'm just Simulation theory. A piece of. I mean, it's fun for me to talk about. That's probably one of my most fun, like, futurology type topics mm-hmm. is simulation theory. But again, like you just said, you can't prove to me it's not. You right. can't prove to me we're yeah. not in one. Of course. And not. you can't, you can see, you can see with your eyeballs how rapidly technology is improving to where the fake looks real. Mm-hmm. It's entirely believable to me that yeah. what I look around and look at as real is just really fucking advanced VR technology. Uh-huh. My eyeballs are cameras. Yeah, well, and that you have consented to it like a game or something where you do purposeful forgetting so that you can experience the game in its fullness, and then you know you get to oh, really? you get to the end and you're like you know oh I had a high score on this one I took you know see now here's where I'm, a, I'm much more bleak I don't know that I had any say in the matter well that's um, possible as well that's certainly possible that that some sort of advanced uh, you know super AI has created a simulation as as per the matrix it's actually a fairly likely thing when you start to think of if 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 the singularity is inevitable and if the universe is eternally expansive how has it not happened elsewhere and impacted us already? Like, how is that not already been a thing? How is it that we are just lucky enough to be the first ever civilization to, you know, go on this journey? (laughs) Although they just reported yesterday that they found phosphines, traces of phosphines on Venus, which to our, to date, we are, we only know that to come as a result of life. Um, certainly it's possible 
there's something about the universe we don't understand that could create phosphines. But to our current knowledge, they only exist when there is life. Mm. And Venus is a hellscape. Imagine the kind of life that might live on Venus. Yeah. I don't want to meet those aliens. <laughs> I just want to know. That's all. I just want the information. You know, if it is a simulation, when they unplug me, I, that's that's where I'm at. I just just give me, just give me the breakdown. You know, there's yeah. you're, not, you're not a big Star Trek guy, but there's an episode of Star Trek Next Generation where where Picard is on the bridge and gets a flash of light in his eye and collapses, and the entire episode, he wakes up in this other civilization, and they, over years and years, convince him that the Picard thing was in his mind and. He actually is this guy called Cayman who lives on this civilization. He lives, mm -hmm. He's super old. He's about to die. And then they finally tell him, hey, that thing that flashed you on the face, that was our probe. We wanted you to be able to experience our culture and share it with other people. Mm. Uh, and he wakes up on the bridge, and he's only been there for like 10 seconds. Um, so he experienced an entire lifetime in like a flash. It's one of my favorite episodes ever because it's so heady and awesome. It's cool. amazing. I'm trying to remember there's a movie uh, about this, um, and I'm trying to remember who it stars because I, I just see so many movies. Um, did somebody uh, win two Oscars in a row recently? An actor? Yeah, a recent actor winner. Uh, Mahershala Ali? Yeah, I think it was a Mahershala movie. Uh, Mahershala Ali. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie is called Swan Song. It's just like a couple years old. Hmm. So Swan Song is this movie where a company has uh, developed the technology to be able to do consciousness transfer and also developed a cloning technology, which will allow a new body to take your consciousness. But what you do is you do this process in secret from your loved ones if you're terminally ill so that they don't have to deal with the your death, your process, and it just replaces you. Um, and so it's like all the philosophical and moral conundrums that go with yeah. kind of that thing. It's re it's really interesting. It didn't make big, a big splash or anything. Um, I remember but, hearing about that. Yeah, and that I don't. I immediately don't like that. Like that immediately <laughs> made me go, "Oh no!" Like, right? Please, right? No one and my loved ones never do that to me. Yeah. Um, I would rather have reality than, mm. oh, God, imagine if oh, the reality, have to watch the, the painful reality that you didn't know existed, you would rather have that than the the reality where you don't experience that pain and you don't know that it's fake. That's the that's the question. Yes. That's the conundrum. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's and still that's fake. I don't care if I know or not. <laughs> oh. But. but but if a clone is fake in the woods, do you hear the sound of it, of it falling?